Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live. I'm Lisa Sorg-Friedman, and today I'm joined by Neil Barron, lifelong New England Patriots fan and founder of Barron Strategic Partners. In football, when a play is called, everyone immediately knows their role and how they contribute to the team's success. Neil explains how the concept of a play can also apply to selling business outcomes to the C-suite, and how you can pick and execute winning product plays so your product team will make an impact on senior-level customers. Today, I'm really interested in talking with you about the lessons you've learned for the New England Patriots and how you can transfer that into the C-suite. So tell me a little bit about what you, how you did that. Okay, super. Uh, Lisa, thanks. First, I am thrilled to once again partner with Pragmatic Marketing on this new program and pleased to share uh, some thoughts on what we can learn from the New England Patriots and about reaching the C-suite. And so I also want to apologize to the folks down in Arizona because on Sunday night, the Patriots beat your Arizona Cardinals in a very, very exciting close game. <laughs> so I, I just want to apologize uh, for that on behalf of all us New Englanders here. Uh, but so to so look at the New England Patriots, or, or it could be any sports team, or it could be any mu- musical or drama performance. Uh, if you look at what it really requires to make, for example, a good football play work, is that you have 11 players and they all know what to do and they all execute to drop. In fact, uh, the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, has a saying which is pretty much, do your job. And I would build upon that and say the first thing is not just to do your job, but to know your job. And if you look at the Patriots or any good football team or any NFL team, for as as a matter of fact, you know, people just don't go up to the line of scrimmage and decide what to do on the spur of the moment or just decide what to do on their own. They all know the plays and they all know what it means to make a, a play successful and what their role is in contributing to the overall organization's uh, success. So, you know, picture, if you will, uh, a football team. If uh, the running back decides to go out for a pass, the quarterback thinks it's a run, the receivers aren't sure what to do, and the linemen aren't sure whether to block for a pass or block for a run, what you end up with is chaos, and you end up with suboptimal performance. And that would never, ever be acceptable for a football team. Or if I'm also a musician and a music lover, but if you look at an orchestra and if you had the uh, players decide to play whatever they wanted, the brass decides to play a, a symphony and the sax decides to play jazz, etc., you wouldn't have beautiful music, you'd have noise. And neither one would be acceptable. However, when it comes to a business, it's perfectly, I wouldn't say acceptable, but it's standard operating procedure for everybody to show up to work and decide to work on what they feel would be best to move the organization down the field. And that is acceptable. 
people come into work and they work very, very hard, and yet there's no organizing principles or plays or musical score sheet to get everybody organized. Right. So you have this in, in sports and you see it in the symphonies with music, but what do you do to get that organizational alignment? You know, it seems like sometimes things are a little bit more straight straightforward in sports, perhaps, or music. You know, you've got that that roadmap right in front of you. And bingo, that's a very important point is you have that roadmap right in front of you. Uh, and whether it's a musical score, whether it's a play in football, for example, just to name two, or it's the play that if you're an actor or an actress, uh, that's all written out for you. Well, in business, you should have the equivalent. You should have a play for the business or you should have the musical score for the business. So when everybody comes into work that day, they know what they have to do to contribute to that success, the organization's success. And if you look at it in football, you have coaches who can, and quarterbacks who can determine the play and call the play. In music, you have conductors or you have composers who are songwriters who create the score. And you have playwrights, you have authors, you have in drama, you also have, uh, you know, coaches in a variety of sports who call the plays. You need the equivalent in a business organization. And that role should be assumed by somebody in either product management or product marketing uh, to emerge as the leader in the organization and call the play for the organization. Mm -hmm. Well, why do you think it's so hard to get everybody aligned in the business? I think it's because, well, there's many reasons for that. One primary, primarily is that everybody is so busy. Yes. Everybody is so busy trying to do their job that they don't have time to think about, and there's really nobody who is out there pulling the organization together and, frankly, orchestrating the play to mix a couple of metaphors. Now, clearly this is something that you've worked on. How, you know, do you have any examples of companies where you've been able to help them implement, you know, lessons learned from sports teams and symphony orchestras and, and how did that work? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, first to recognize why it's so hard and why it's so hard for product teams to play this kind of role. And just like everybody else, product folks have a tremendous amount on their plate. And nobody comes, no product manager I've seen has a lot of free time to take on additional work. And so you have folks who get engaged in the tactical, the urgent but unimportant or less important activities that suck up everybody's time. So there's a time issue there's also a skill gap issue where product folks are most comfortable talking about the product. They're not as comfortable helping to set a strategic direction for the organization. So that's one of the things to look at. So you mentioned the time issue and skill gap. What do you do about that? You know, when you go into a company, you know, what do you recommend? I always find that 
uh, product managers and mar product marketing folks that have been grounded in pragmatic marketing training uh, are better positioned to take on this role than those that have not. So one of the things I, I look for is, do I see the framework posted on people's walls? Are they familiar with the framework? Are they familiar with the prospect, uh, the uh, concepts of pragmatic marketing? Do they understand what Nahito really means and the implications of that, uh, that, that pr pragmatic marketing principle? Stands for nothing important happens in the office, by the way. Uh, so that's one of the things that I look at. The other is I look at is the organization and the people in it what I call a learning organization. Namely, do they want to get better? Do they, are they willing to admit that they're not always a world-class organization across the board? Uh, are they willing to listen to an outsider? Uh, if they have those characteristics in place, then they're more likely to be successful at transforming the product organization into playing more of a leadership role. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious, this is my, my own curiosity, but um, you say the importance is that the organization needs to want to get better. Have you ever gone into a company and discovered that in fact they're not willing to do the work to get better? And what do you do in that instance? So uh, I see that uh, that happens. And if you ask anybody, is getting better a priority? Is building on your strengths a priority? Is addressing your weak areas a priority? Is improving client and I mean, customer and employee satisfaction a priority? Everybody says yes. But uh, you know, if I were a personal trainer, I'm sure you could tell lots of stories of people coming to you who are overweight, smoking, or diabetic, uh, or sedentary, who want to exercise more, want to improve their health, but they're not willing to do what it takes. So everybody will admit it's a priority, but are they willing to take the right actions, for example? Are they willing to have an outsider hold up the mirror and show them the warts, but also the strengths that they can build upon? Uh, that's tough stuff. That can be very hard for an organization to be willing to do that. Uh, are they willing to admit that churn is too high, whether it's employee uh, or customer churn is too high? Are they willing to admit that they don't have the skills, the experience uh, to drive some of these needed changes, even though they've never done it before? Yeah, I like that analogy of um, trying to get healthy, you know, and going to a personal trainer, because I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, and as it applies to a business as well. All right, so why don't we move on to some of the examples, some of the things that you have seen, how how companies have been able to switch their focus so that they're able to get buy-in from the C-suite and, you know, be a stronger team and a stronger company. Yeah, I know a great example was an article that was just published uh, in the summer issue of Pragmatic Marketing Magazine uh, on page 15, I must add. <laughs> Thank you for uh, that, Neil. But, uh, but it's really uh, a company, Eagle Investment Systems. Uh, they provide softwares to institutional management firms, uh, companies that manage billions and billions of uh, investors' money. And they are a division of the Bank of New York. 
and they've been very successful. They got a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, customer retention is extremely high, best in the industry. But at the same time, they recognized they needed to change, uh, that the buyers of their offerings were becoming more and more of the business uh, power centers as opposed to the technology centers. And they needed to move from talking about product features, like, like you would look at when you're buying a PC, to looking at what outcomes they were enabling their customers to achieve. So they had some visionary leadership uh, in sales, uh, in the CEO position, uh, in marketing, that really saw that making this transition was a priority in order to continue to capitalize on market trends and continue to be the outstanding vendor to the industry that they were. Mm -hmm. And so Eagle went through that transformation and it's taken a while to do it, but they made the commitment, they had the leadership that had the vision and the tenacity to follow it through. Uh, they had middle management who was able to pick up the ball and, look, and run with it. But most importantly, they, were, they really recognized the needs to change, but even more important, they were able to uh, say, we wanna make the required investments to make this transformation really stick. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I find interesting about this case is that Eagle, Eagle was already doing well, and, um, and then they still recognized the need to change and um, were willing to invest in that. Do you find that's often the case? Do more companies that are doing well want to do this, or does it really not, does that not have that much of an effect? No, I, I think it's better to do it when things are going well yes. than when your back is against the wall and you're seeing competitors nipping at your heels and uh, the wolf is at the door, if you will, and now is not the time to reinforce the, your door, if you will, when the wolf is really knocking on it or the winds are howling out there or the rain is pouring to fix the roof. It's better to take care of that and address it when things are going well. So I see world-class companies like Eagle Investment Systems willing to make the investments even though things are going well. Now, in some cases, it's harder to make the case for change when things are going well because people can say, why change? Um, we're, still, we're still making our numbers. Uh, and so it takes a certain type of leadership to make that investment. But yeah, I see leading companies make that case, make that change ahead of the time when they have to. It's when they really want to. Uh, and that's a much, much, much better position to be in. Mm -hmm. And so where, so this is, this starts with the leadership? You know, or does it work its way up? How, what, what have you found? Because you said there was a strong leadership at Eagle that was willing to make the changes. Um, you know, if you're, if you're middle management, how do you factor into that? How can you um, work with the C-suite to make sure that things are, I mean, if you see things on the ground that they may not be seeing, what's your role there? So if you're in middle management, I can look at some of the middle management at Eagle Investment Systems, and part of it is to show the way. 
and it's demonstrating some small success, some small impact. Uh, it could be conducting customer conversations in a way that doesn't really rely on what do you think about our new features or should the new widget be red or blue, but instead taking the time to truly understand the value that customers are currently getting and the value that the customers would like to receive from your product or service offering. So you can just start to change the dialogue with customers, for example. You can create sales tools based on that information that enable the sales team to have a much higher level conversation. For example, with Eagle's case, it's about how do you have a C-suite conversation. It could be rallying the organization to identify potential plays and then working with the organization to prioritize those plays based on agreed to play selection criteria. Okay. Um, talk to me about customer value in this scenario. You know, we've talked about how oh, companies need to recognize the need to change and then how would that translate for the customers? Yeah, and, and I think it's all centered on um, what, understanding the customer, understanding what the customer values, and understanding how you can add more value to the customer. You know, I use a tool that I call the value stack or the four V's mm -hmm. that really are the, are the components of a good play. And the first V stands for value beneficiary. These are the people, the job titles, the organizations that get the most value from your offering. And these are the people and the organizations that therefore are most likely to buy. The next step or the second V is value proposition. This is a compelling reason why they want to buy your product or service. This gets into what happens in their life as a result of doing business with your company. What changes happen to them or their company as a result of engaging with your products or services. So it becomes not just uh, a, a recitation of benefits, uh, a description of cliches such as quality is job one, we put the customer first, uh, or any of those bits of meaningless nonsense, not nonsense, but uh, dribble, if you will, but really getting at a true understanding of how customers' lives will be better, how companies will be better as a result of doing business with you. Mm -hmm. So those are the first two. The third is uh, what I refer to as value delivery. It's one thing to be able to have a clear value beneficiary articulated and a very uh, compelling value proposition, but can you deliver it? And it's one thing to be able to communicate that value, but how do you deliver that value and get everybody to buy into delivering that value proposition? Much like uh, on a football team or an orchestra, it's getting everybody to understand what role they need to play to make the symphony beautiful or make the football play effective. And so uh, that becomes a key component. You know, it's interesting, uh, we talk a lot in product marketing and product management about the product roadmap. 
and we spent a ton of time developing the product roadmap, which is really a description of new features that you plan to add. What I work with companies to develop is a value roadmap. This is a detailed description of how each functional group will take action to deliver the value proposition. And that becomes a very powerful tool, especially if you look at how the value proposition will change over time and how the different functional groups' responsibilities should change over time. Mm -hmm. The fourth V, and this is the V that people tend to jump to, is value communication. It's how do you communicate your value proposition to your value beneficiary. This gets into sales training. This gets into lead generation. This gets into marketing communications plans, among other things. And so that's the four V's, and those really make the components of the play. And if you have a clear understanding of the four V's and how they turn into and become a play, my goodness, uh, you're really changing the dialogue with the business, and you're also elevating uh, the reputation and the perception of the product organization within the company. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when you're talking about the four V's and the component of a good play, you had it, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that term play? Because I know that was something that you worked on um, with Eagle, that terminology. Yeah, I've worked with Eagle and others, and, and frankly, you know, we're all football fans here in New England. It's right. part of our, written to our legal charter, if you will, the football <laughs> fans, especially when you have a good team. But really, uh, we found that the concept of the play, and when you explain it, really makes a lot of sense to people. And we're going to help, if you t- sell the, the different functional groups, we're going to help you understand your role in successfully executing this play, that that really resonates and that metaphor seems to really resonate with folks. And if you look at that compared to talking about what well, we're rolling out our next strategic initiative, it sounds like business school speak or you know, something you read in, in a marketing textbook about strategic initiatives. Uh, people don't seem to really re- relate to that uh, as much as they do about, yeah, I want to support the play. Right. Well, and it, it brings it down to a very understandable le- le- um, level. You know, whether you know the terminology or not, most people understand a play, just like you were talking earlier about getting everybody on the same page. And if you are going to a personal trainer, you know, that analogy tying in. So I, I like that because I think it's something everyone can understand and get on board with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it really has resonated more than any other analogy or metaphor you could use. But you know, keep in mind, this is all about elevating the organization and also elevating the reputation of the product teams and the marketing teams to become leaders of the organization, to become the quarterbacks of the organization. And having a metaphor like the play is, is a very useful tool, a very useful concept that I urge people to consider using within their companies to ask, do we know what our winning plays are? Have we clearly defined our winning plays? Most good football teams have defined those plays. They have a playbook full of those. And in order to be part of that team, you have to know the plays. You have to know your role, and you have to be very good at executing that play. 
that's the only way to survive uh, on a football team. If you don't know, the worst thing you can say to the coach is, look, I don't know the playbook. <laughs> I don't know where to stand. I don't know where to go. I'm a fast guy. I can catch. I can throw the ball 60, 70 yards with no problem. But I don't know the plays. They have no use for you. So you can be very talented in business and not know the plays and be useless. Right. Well, that that's a great summary there. So if to wrap it up, what do you think would be some of the key takeaways for our listeners? So I, I think it's being willing to learn, being to welcome, recognize that the product team can be and should be a linchpin within the organization. And in order, and what I've seen in terms of world-class organizations have very strong, very effective product marketing and product management teams who aren't really, to use another football analogy, aren't really the water boys of the organization or the water girls waiting for people to tell them what to do and when, on, when to run out of the field and play a relatively trivial role. But no, they're the quarterbacks of the organization and they should be committed to making sure that they have the skills and gain the experience and when necessary get the outside coaching and the outside training through programs like pragmatic marketing in order to assume that higher level more strategic role within the organization and the second point is to make sure all activities are focused on adding value to the customer and it requires you to know what value you're currently adding requires you to understand the value that customers want to be delivered and that you're always focusing on increasing the value that you add and making sure the organization is aligned to deliver that. Great. Well, thank you for that, Neil. Um, I know that you had originally given this um, winning with the C-suite lessons from the New England Patriots as a uh, presentation at the Strategic Leadership Summit in Boston this past spring. And I wonder if that might be something you would be willing to make available to our listeners? Sure. Anybody who wants to get a copy of the slides, uh, also a copy of the Pragmatic Marketing article that goes into this that was just featured uh, in the summer issue, you know, by all means, um, you know, for the presentation, reach out and contact me. I assume, Lisa, you can make sure that they have access to the article as well. Absolutely. We'll put that information in our program notes. And thank you, Neil, so much for being with us today. Okay, my pleasure, Lisa. And go Patriots. <laughs> uh... To learn more about how to pick and execute winning product plays, you can read Neil's article, Delivering Differentiated Customer Value, on our website, pragmaticmarketing.com. We've posted that link in our podcast notes. And if you'd like a copy of Neil's original PowerPoint presentation, you can email him at nbaron at baronstrategic.com. We've also included that information in our podcast notes. Thanks for listening to Pragmatic Live.